It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Uh, We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1, specifically verse 4. And uh, just to kind of bring us into some context, I want to read verses 3 and verse 4 with you, if I may, this morning. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Look at verse 4 again. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Again, Paul's talking about the overwhelming blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And that every single thing that God has for you is found in one single place, which is Jesus. Which is so exciting to me. Because the moment I have Jesus, that means I have everything that I need for life and for godliness. And Paul comes thundering into verse 4, and he's beginning to give the aspects or some of the descriptions of these blessings that we have in Jesus. Now, we walk through this, but just as a reminder in verse 4, he says that you have been chosen. And you realize that you are not God's last pick. This is not dodgeball. He's not putting you up against a wall and saying, oh, bummer, I guess I better pick you for my team. It's not that idea. The whole focus of the passage is that you are God's number one pick. Somehow, and I don't know how this works, but somehow it's like God lines us all up against the wall and says, all right, who am I going to pick first? You! I'll pick you. And somehow you are God's favorite. Like you are his all-time number one favorite person in the world. Now, I am too, so I don't know how that works. Okay? But God has chosen you. And when did the choosing take place? Well, before the foundations of the world. So even before God said, let there be light, you were on his mind. That you were his first pick. That his delight has been for you. And he's been waiting anxiously until this time and this generation for you to come on the scene in your strength. For him to use you for his purpose and his plan, for his renown and for his glory. What an exciting reality, isn't it? In other words, you are not an accident. Your parents may have said you were an accident. But in in the mind of God, you are not an accident. Your personality is not an accident. Your gender is not an accident. Hey, you were purposely chosen. Hey, you were knit together. That God has a purpose and a plan for you. Isn't that awesome? Are you awake? Good morning. Right? That is phenomenal. And you realize in the midst of a culture that is so confused by everything, Right? We have such a gender confusion. We have marriage confusion. We have confusion of confusion. Okay? In our culture today. And it's only getting worse. You realize how important this understanding is that, hey, God has chosen you. And you are not an accident. That he has a purpose and a plan for you. Now, what is the primary purpose of the choosing? Now, again, we mentioned the other day that this is personal Right? In other words, this is not, I'm kind of choosing you as a group and, oh, you somehow snuck in. Well, good for you. I'm glad you made it in. That this is a personal choosing. He's looking at you square in the eyes. He's pointing his finger right at you saying, hey, you, you, 
right? I'm choosing you. But what was the purpose of that? Paul says in verse 4 that you would be holy and blameless before him. Now, in the last session that we walked through this, we were talking about this idea of holiness and blamelessness. Holiness, again, is this idea of being set apart. So you have the world out there, but something is set apart and different than the world out there. And we read this the other day, but just for the sake of repeating, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Peter writes, As he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, because it is written... Well, what's written? Several times throughout the book of Leviticus, it is declared, hey, God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Now, he's really holy. We understand that. And you are being called to be just like him. That's exciting. Because I don't know if you look at your life, we are not holy, folks. In fact, the best effort that we can pull off, hey, if we, really, if we really grit our teeth, if we really try really hard, Isaiah says the best that even is, is still but filthy rags. So the very best that you can pull off is filthy rags. How on earth are you going to become holy? He says not only are you called to holiness, but you're called to this idea of blamelessness. And again, this idea of blameless goes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system kind of stuff. Uh, that here's the high priest, and uh, someone brings in this little lamb. Oh, we're going to call him lamb chops, right? <laughs> Why? Because, hey, he's coming to sacrifice, right? So the priest is looking over a little lamb chop, and he's looking at it, and he's inspecting it. And in the midst of inspecting the little lamb, he's looking to make sure that that lamb is blameless. It's spotless. It's pure. It is set apart, that there's no broken bones, that there's no issues with the little lamb. Why? Because God demands our best. We do not give God seconds. We give God our firsts. Right? And so the idea of being blameless then is that there's this inspection going on of the little sacrifice. <coughs> and if the sacrifice meets the standard of blamelessness, it would be used for the sacrifice. Guess what? You are called to that. That you are a little sheep and you are to be inspected. And when your life comes under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit, your life is to come out blameless. Now, I don't know about you. I look at those passages and I go, I am in trouble. Because maybe you have it all together. But I've got issues, folks. Don't say amen. But I, hey, I know <laughs> that I have issues. All right? God is still sanctifying me. And if, I, and if I, even just myself, not even the Holy Spirit, but if I just look at my life, I begin to recognize I have areas where there is unholiness. I have areas where there is not blamelessness. I have spots. And yet, what is my calling? God has chosen me before the foundations of the world. Why? So that I would look like Him, which is holy and pure and spotless and blameless. And you recognize that and this idea of being blameless, there's not to be the junk that I am to be upright and righteous, pure, holy, set apart. Does that describe your life? I mean, if we were to be honest, does that really describe your life? It should. Shouldn't it? 
so I step back from this whole thing and say, how on earth is that going to happen in my life? It's interesting that the passage actually clarifies for us. When you look at that word that we are called to be holy and blameless, <clears throat> it says that we are to be holy and blameless before him. Before him. Uh, there are two ideas with this idea before him. Now, you notice, even before we get to that maybe, if you look at the passage in verse 4, uh, the word before shows up two times. Uh, in verse 4, the very beginning of it, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Uh, that word for before, uh, it's a very typical preposition. Uh, it's the word pro. It has this idea of coming before. So in other words, the foundations of the world, God spoke, let there be light. And something happened before that time. Does that make sense? And it's in this idea of time before. But the second word before, that we are chosen or we are, we've been chosen to be holy and blameless before him, that word is not that word. It's not like the first word. This is a completely different word. In fact, this word, the word before, the second before, the one that comes not before the before, but the one after the before, right? So the second before, that word only shows up five times in the New Testament. And it's interesting, that word, when you look at it in the Greek, it's katanopion. That's the Greek word. And katanopion is interesting because it's really two Greek words put together. It has this idea of against and the idea before. A literal translation, if you want to say it this way, would be in the face of, or <clears throat> in the presence of, or in the sight of. And again, this idea gives us two, two ideas. So let me give them to you. One idea with this idea of the before, in the face of, or in the sight of, has this idea of the courtroom. Uh, imagine you come in this courtroom, and uh, here's this judge sitting upon you know, the big desk. And he's sitting behind the desk, and he's going to make a judgment. And you are brought before him. You are brought in his sight. How you are brought to stand right in front of him. And what is the judge going to be doing? He's going to be scrutinizing and looking all over your life. Why? He's going to be judging you based on the criteria of whether or not you are holy and blameless. So there's this idea of, hey, I'm coming before him. And as I come before the Lord, what is the Lord doing? He is testing. He's determining whether or not I, in fact, am holy and blameless before him. Does that make sense? So he has brought me before him. Now, he has chosen me. Whoa, that's such an amazing reality. And when did he choose me? Well, before he even spoke, let there be light. And what was the purpose of that choosing? Well, he's bringing me before him with the intent that when he scrutinizes my life and looks all over my life, <clears throat> I will be found to be holy, pure, spotless, righteous, blameless before him. Now, again, I'm not doing so hot. Hey, if, if you were brought before the Lord and you were standing before him, how would you be doing? My guess is all of us would say, I've got an issue. Some of us have more than one issue. And some of our issues is you. So, I mean, you know, I mean, hey, we have roommates and we have, and some of you are causing our problems. Okay? 
just kidding. But do you begin to recognize that, hey, we all have these blemishes. And yeah, he is sanctifying us, but hey, we are still not as we are. Which tells you what? We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And we say this often around here, but you realize that the idea of salvation is God has saved us. Praise the Lord. But he is currently saving us. Praise the Lord. And hey, there's coming a future salvation. Do you realize that is such good news? That, hey, I come to Christ and I, I am saved. And of course, around here we say big ass salvation. That God has done a radical work in my life and I am no longer the same person. And, and God is changing my nature and the inside stuff. And, and all the deeds and the acts of sin have been forgiven. That is phenomenal. And we need that. But, hey, I look at my life today going, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. That I still have issues. And I still have areas of my life that he is sanctifying and he's renewing and changing. And again, he's going deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and yeah, you know, he's been dealing with some big boulder stuff. You know, every weekend I used to go out and murder three people. And hey, God's changing my life. And you're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? Now I don't kill people. Now I just put their faces up on my wall and I throw darts at it. Okay? But you know what? He's getting a hold of those areas of my life saying, Nathan, you can't even do that anymore. All right, fine. I'll no longer put their faces on my door. I'll no longer throw darts. I got rid of my dart board, my, my, the whole set. I no longer have any darts. But inside, I'm dealing with frustration and hatred. And God says, hey, I need that area. And you're, you're not even allowed to do that anymore. Oh, are you kidding me? God's like, I need it. All right. And then he starts dealing with attitudes and motives and internal stuff on a whole nother level. And so you realize that the process of sanctification is not a bad thing. But what that means is that every single day I need a rescuer. I need a savior to deal with those areas of my life. Is this making sense? And you've been brought before the Lord and now you are before him. You're in a courtroom kind of a scenario. And he is scrutinizing your life and he's looking to see, whoa, you're not like you're supposed to be yet. Now, what's really cool about this word before is it's not just this idea of the courtroom in the sense of you're standing before him and you're being scrutinized. The word before him also gives you the concept uh, or maybe the thought process of the solution itself, which is this idea of the cleansing. So again, this word before has this idea of the courtroom. I'm coming before the Lord. He is looking like a judge. He's scrutinizing my life. And as he's looking over my life, he's trying to see whether or not I am matching up to the standard of being holy and blameless. But again, that word before not just has this idea of the courtroom. It has in and of itself this idea of a cleansing. And it's this idea that you're coming before him. And how are you coming before him? You're coming in the sight of him. Or you're in the face of. The idea is, here's the Lord, here's me, and I'm getting nose to nose with him. That I am before him. I'm getting in his face. That I, I'm getting tight with him. So yeah, there's this idea of the scrutiny, <clears throat> of that courtroom kind of thing. But there's also this idea in the word of me getting face to face with God. 
Do you know how you become holy and blameless? You have to get face to face with them. <coughs> uh, I've said this before, but uh, one day there was this shepherd, and uh, he was walking around. He's been shepherding sheep for probably close to 40-something years, and, and he'd been on these same areas year after year after year, and he just has a cycle of where to bring the sheep, and, and hey, it's a good thing, and and he's probably on this, been on this mountain countless times before. But this one day, he's up on, he's up on this little hill, and as he's letting the sheep roam around, there's this voice that speaks to him coming from a bush. And he looks over, and there's this bush that's burning, but not burning, but it is burning, but it's not burning up, and so it's this burning bush that's not burning, right? And Moses, it says, he goes and investigates what's going on, because if I saw a bush that's burning but not burning, I'd be like, what on earth is that? So Moses goes over and goes, what on earth is that? And as he's looking, this voice begins to speak and says, Moses, take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. And if I was Moses, I would have looked at the bush and said, Bush, <laughs> I'm sorry to break this to you. This is not holy ground. Hey, I've been here year after year after year after year after year. It has never been holy ground. In fact, I was here yesterday. In fact, look around. I have sheep. And you know what sheep do? They eat and then they do stuff. Okay, this is not holy ground. Okay, there's dead, dead twigs and leaves on the ground. This is not holy ground. And the bush, of course, would respond back and say, it's holy ground. Well, why wasn't it holy ground yesterday, and now it's holy ground today? What changed? God showed up. Isn't that an amazing thought? Ah, you know the story well, but you know, here's David, and he decides to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And, and so he improperly carries the ark. He puts the ark on the ox cart. And as the ox cart is going down the road, you know, uh, Uzzah or Azah, however you want to say that, right? The, the ox cart stumbles, and he reaches out and touches it to hold, you know, to, to make sure the ark doesn't tumble, which makes total sense to me. Right? If the presence of the Lord is contained and, and is symbolized in the ark, you don't want the ark to be tumbling down the road. Right? That's not a good picture for all of Israel to see. There goes God. <laughs> right? We dropped him. I mean, <laughs> that's not good. So, hey, it makes sense to me that here's a guy who's, who's concerned, and he reaches out and he touches it. But the moment that he touches the ark, he drops down dead. And you're like, well, why did he drop down dead? Well, because it's holy. Yeah, but didn't we have a whole bunch of guys chopping down the wood? Building the ark, right? Overlaying it with gold. Didn't they touch, didn't they like take their grubby hands and put it all over the ark? Yeah. But then something changed. God settled upon the whole thing. And now it's holy. Here's a question. What would happen if that happened in our lives? Here we are, we are unholy. Hey, the best we can pull off is filthy rags. How on earth am I going to pull off be holy as I am holy, says the Lord? How on earth do you and I have the possibility of doing that one? We don't. That is an impossible command. In our own strength. In our own resource. In our own wisdom. We cannot live out the Christian life on our own, folks. 
Hey, you and I cannot live out holiness. Hey, you and I cannot accomplish that which God is calling us to without him. Hey, you and I are unholy. We are but filthy rags. But what happens when something that is unholy, God shows up in the midst of that which is unholy, you realize that any time that God shows up, even if it's unholy, that which was unholy becomes holy. <clears throat> I don't know what background you may have come from, but for whatever reason, holiness in our culture today has gotten a bad rap. Now, holiness has become a list of do's and don'ts, right? Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, we had a whole bunch of rules. If you want to be holy as a Lord, and hey, well, we do. But if you want to be holy as a Lord, then there's things that you do and there's things that you do not do. For example, you come to church on Sundays. That's God's day. So hey, if you're going to be holy, like the Lord is holy, you better show up on Sundays. And if you want to miss one, fine, fine, fine. That's okay. God might forgive that one. But if you do two in a row, okay? Uh, growing up, we had things like, hey, you are not to swim with the opposite sex. So, hey, you can go swim in the ocean. You can go swim in a pool. That's fine. But, hey, the moment a lady shows up, you better get out of the pool. Hey, that's a temptation. So, hey, if you want to be holy, no swimming with the opposite sex. I know some of you are feeling convicted. <laughs> uh, we had things like, <clears throat> guys are not to have long hair. Girls are not to have short hair. Right? Why? Holiness! Aren't these dumb? Uh, we had things like, uh, hey, don't take the newspaper on Sunday because you're making somebody else work. And we had, hey you, be hey, you better not dance because, hey, dancing, hey, temptation. No dancing! <laughs> now, it's interesting, as I got older, we got into be a teenager, and things started to shift. They said, all right, look, we understand you're probably going to go dancing. So, here's the rules. You have to stay at least 12 inches apart, and you always have to at least have one foot on the ground. Which never made sense to me, because how else do you dance? <laughs> and holiness was a whole list of do's and don'ts. Folks, that's not holiness. That's legalism. You're like, I am dancing today. <laughs> but do you realize, think about this. Do you realize you could do that whole list of do's and don'ts and you'll still die and go to hell? Because holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is about nature stuff. Holiness is not activities. Now, holiness will produce activities but holiness is not the activities. Isn't it interesting? Early 1800s, there's this whole movement called, we called it the holiness movement. And it wasn't a bad thing, it was actually a good thing. There's this new passion that God's people wanted to be holy. 
And so there's this yearning for holiness. And so we started saying, okay, we want to be holy, so we better set up some standards. Do you know what the problem with the holiness movement was? We were so fixated on the standards that we lost Jesus. And it's interesting that I look at the, the generation before me and, and, and the generation even before them, and they are so put off by even the language of holiness. Why? Because all they were taught was not, hey, embrace Jesus. What they were taught is embrace the do's and don'ts. And if somehow you could pull off all the do's and don'ts, woo, you'll be holy. But you could do all the do's and don'ts and never be holy, folks. Because holiness is not do's and don'ts. Are you getting this? And the problem with the holiness movement is somehow we got so wrapped up in the do's and don'ts, we lost Jesus. But you realize, had they gone after Jesus, they would have been holy. Hey, how are we going to be holy? You've got to get face to face with Jesus. Hey, you've got to be nose to nose with Jesus. Hey, you've got to become tight with Jesus. Why? Because there is no hope for you to be holy outside of him. And the only option you have to be holy is to embrace the one who is holy. And it is in the embrace of the one who is holy that you find yourself, that which is unholy, becoming the one who is holy, like the one who is holy. Because there is only one who is in and of himself holy. That's God himself. He has transcendent holiness. He's the only one who is holy. So the only option that you and I have to be holy is to embrace the one who is holy. You getting this? And Paul says, the language Paul uses is, hey, you are before him. Hey, you better get nose to nose with Jesus. And as, as you are in his face, as you're just embracing him, as you're wrapped up in relationship and intimacy, what you find is that you just can't help yourself. But he's starting to change the in, inner parts of who you are. And that which you once were is no longer who you were. Now you're becoming more like him. Oh, he's making you holy. And you realize that this is not some one-time event. Ooh, all right, I'll embrace him once and I'm done. You recognize the only way I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm ever going to progress in holiness, the only way I'm going to ever be shaped and sanctified and transformed more and more into his image is I have got to embrace him day by 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 day. By day. Because I need this today, folks. And tomorrow, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need this. And I can guarantee you next week, I'm really going to need this. So there's this idea of holiness then that the only way you're going to become holy is to embrace the one who is holy. Now what's fun is that there's a, an outflow of that. And it's this idea that oneness, this idea of the oneness, getting before him, getting nose to nose with Jesus is that which is going to produce the holiness. But you realize that that holiness then is going to define your life. Do you realize that in scripture, holiness is never negative? It is never seen in a negative light. It is always a positive. Holiness is not a, things, is not a list of things you don't get to do. Holiness in scripture is, whoa, this is what I get to do. Holiness is not a separation from stuff. It is a separation unto someone. That's really important. And it's interesting that your perspective of holiness gives, gives us a clue of where you're at with holiness. 
In other words, if you see holiness as a drab, it's just like, ugh, I don't, I don't know if I want to be holy. You realize that exposes something about you? Because it tells us that, hey, you have no idea what holiness is. But if you truly understood holiness, this would not be a, oh, bummer, you're meaning I don't get to do this anymore? Hey, that's the wrong perspective. Because holiness is not what you don't do. Holiness is, wow, you're telling me that I can have relationship and intimacy with the God of the universe. Yeah. So you're telling me I've got to give up junk? I'm willing. Why? Because it's junk. Right? Hello? So you get this idea then that if I'm going to be holy, the only option I had to be holy is to embrace the one who is holy. And that... The one who is holy is beginning to make me holy. But the outflow of that then is that the holiness begins to define my life. It's interesting. Biblically, you are not defined by what you do. Uh, in North American culture, a lot of times our identity is in our activities. It's in our jobs. It's in the things that we are doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. But do you realize that biblically you're not defined by what you do? You're defined by who you are. That it's a nature thing. That it's the inside stuff. It's the nature that defines who you are. But get this. Biblically you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who you are. But who you are will determine what you do. And I said this before, but if you found all the right things to do in life, and you somehow were able to go off and produce all the right things, you would still die and go to hell. Why? Because heaven and hell is not about doing all the right things. It's about having a nature change. Yes? Right? It's a nature change thing. But if your nature is changed, you can't help yourself but do different things. But the focus is not on the things. The focus is on the nature. Are you getting this? So, hey, you are called to be holy and blameless. Well, what option do you have? None. You can't pull this thing off unless you embrace him. Hey, you've got to come before him. And you've got to allow him to scrutinize your life and, and look down into the, every little aspect of your soul and say, okay, are you fully blameless and holy? No. Well, then I need some help. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> what do you need? You need a rescuer. You need a savior. And you need to get nose to nose with him. Hey, you need to embrace him. And in the embrace of the one who is holy, you find yourself being holy as he is holy. And in the embrace of the one who is holy, you just, it changes who you are on the inside, which is going to change what flows out of you in the activities of your life. Now again, don't focus on the activities. Hey, they'll take care of themselves. Isn't it interesting we come to Jesus and it's like, I really, I really, want, to, I really want to obey and I really want to do what's holy and I, hey, I really want to live a Christian life. But there's, there's this propensity in me where what I really love is the things that God detests. I really love sin. Oh, I love sin. But hey, I don't want to do the sin. Why? 
lives? God said, no. So here's, here's this temptation, and I'm looking at the temptation, and I really want the temptation. Oh, I really want the temptation. But no. No. Oh, no. Why? Because God said no. Right? What would happen if your nature changed? And you actually find yourself loving what he loves and hating that which he hates. Wouldn't it be amazing if the same junk that always wooed you, you're just like, yeah, I know that if I allowed myself, I'd probably be pulled into it. But I don't even want it anymore. I just, I'm not that interested. This is a horrible illustration. But when I was a kid, I loved a good candy bar. Oh, maybe it's just because it was candy, it was sugar, right? And my mom usually didn't buy it for me. And so whenever I had the chance, I would sneak out and I'd give, buy a candy bar. And, right? And you just, <clears throat> man, I just love candy bars. It's interesting. If you offered me, outside of like a Reese's cup, like there's, that's hard to say no to. But outside of that, if you offered me almost any candy bar, I'd just be like, I'm fine. I have no interest. It's especially milk chocolate. Ugh, why would you want milk chocolate when you could have dark, rich chocolate? Right? <clears throat> now, I'm not against chocolate. I still, I still love chocolate, okay? But I have, no, I have no desire for candy bars. Donuts. I used, to, I used to love a good donut. And there's still, there's like one place in the entire nation that if I ever am in that location, they have this double chocolate donut thing that is like, kills you at the same time as it's like heavenly. It's amazing. Like you die with a smile on your face. It's, it's awesome. Okay. <clears throat> but outside of that, that one donut that I might get like once a year, maybe, you realize you could offer me a donut and I'd be like, uh-uh, not interested in the donut. I used to crave that stuff. What's changed? I don't know. I like to say I'm trying to get healthier. Mom, buddy, you know? But wouldn't it be interesting if that happened spiritually? Now, you realize if I would start eating a bunch of donuts, I would probably fall back on the same thing where donuts became very attractive to me. I know that, and I don't want to go back there. I used to be a Dr. Pepper-aholic. I, I love Dr. Pepper. I love the smell of Dr. Pepper, the taste of Dr. Pepper, that burn in your throat in the summer days. When you just, oh, I lived for those days. And I drank, I like supported Dr. Pepper. I'm surprised they haven't gone out of business, okay? It's just, and I'm not, I, I don't drink soda pop anymore. But I, I know I could easily go back there. But what's changed? I don't, see, wouldn't it be amazing if in our spiritual life that stuff took place? That somehow the stuff that used to always just entice me and that which always just pulled on me and I'm not saying it always goes away. I'm not, I'm not, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But wouldn't it be amazing if you actually started seeing all the stuff that God hates and you actually had a distaste for it? Where you're just like, I just, I know I could probably do it. And I know it probably, I just, but I just don't have any desire anymore. It's just, in fact, I just kind of go, why would I want that? Do you realize that the best the world has to offer is still the, below the trash heaps of heaven? That the very, very best this world can produce is still the very, very worst of heaven. So why would you want to go after earth stuff? 
Say, wouldn't it just be amazing if he could somehow change and transform your affections? See, wouldn't it be amazing if he could change and transform your mind? See, wouldn't it be amazing if he could just change your heart? See, what if he could change your focus? What if he could just change your life? Doesn't that sound like a Christian? See, what if your nature was no longer the nature that you used to have? What if, as Paul said, you actually received a new nature? You're a new creation. There's been a line drawn in the sand, and who you once were is no longer who you are. Why? He's making you holy. But I can't do it. I know. So quit trying. Hey, don't get wrapped up in the do's and don'ts. Because this only leads to legalism and pride. Because if you start doing this stuff, you go, ooh, look at me, I can do it. But that's not holiness, folks. What is holiness? Embracing the one who is holy. Paul says, you are chosen. Before the very foundations of the world. This is a personal choosing. What's the purpose of that? That you would be just like the one who is choosing you. That you would be holy and blameless. How are you going to pull that off? Hey, he's going to, hey, you're coming before him and he's going to scrutinize you. And hey, they're not, there better not be even an ounce of junk in your life. <gasps> there is. All right. Get nose to nose. Hey, get in his face. Hey, don't let him go. Diligently seek after him. Run after him with all that you are. Embrace him. Because it is in the embrace of the one who was holy that you find yourself becoming holy. And you who were once unholy have the opportunity to be like the one who is holy. And that's going to start defining your life. Because you are not what you do. You're defined by who you are. And who you are will determine what you do. That's awesome. Now, if you want to continue next week, and you want to join me in the little study, uh, we're going to look at the phrase, in love. Now, some translations put in love at the end of verse 4. Some translations put in love at the beginning of verse 5. doesn't matter. But regardless, we're going to be looking at that phrase, in love. So you could say we're going to wrap up verse 4 next week, or you can say we're going to start verse 5 next week. Either way, it sounds very exciting. So if you want to join me, I encourage you to read Ephesians through every single day this week, if you have time. Specifically chapter 1, if you have time. Specifically verses 3 through 14, if you really have a lot of time. And if you want to jump in, study out that phrase, what does it mean to be chosen before the foundations of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love? So that's what we'll look at next time. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I confess that in and of myself, I have no option of being holy. Hey, I've gritted my teeth. I've, hey, I've tried to pull off activities. Hey, I've tried to do the do's and don'ts. And what I found is that it still is nothing but filthy rags. Hey, I cannot be holy on my own, Jesus. Which means the only chance I have to live out the Christian life as you are calling me to live is to somehow embrace you tighter. It's to come before you and not only let you scrutinize my life, but to get nose to nose with you and the embracing of who you are, the one who is holy, I somehow find that my affections and my attitudes and my life and my mind starts to change. 
And yes, I need to walk in obedience. I understand that. Yes, I need to press in. I understand that. Yes, I'm fully participating. Hey, I get that. But Lord, you've got to pull off something in my life that I just can't do in and of myself. So Lord, I want to come before you afresh and surrender and just repent and say, hey, I am I'm so sorry of the unholiness. I, am, I repent of being blemished by this world and having all these spots and stains of sin. Lord, would you cleanse? Would you purify? Would you change? Would you transform? Would you renew? Would you just turn me upside down and do what's necessary in my life to bring about your life in me? Lord, I don't want to get caught up in legalism. I don't want to get caught up in a list of do's and don'ts. I don't want to get caught up in, I just want to get caught up in you. And wouldn't it be fascinating, Jesus, if I wasn't so focused on the activities, I was focused on the person, but, but, I was, but while I'm embracing the person, somehow all my activities begin to change. Lord, what would it look like if a whole group of men and women began to pursue you, not for what they get from you, but just to pursue you, but in so doing, our lives are so radically transformed that it turns the world upside down. Lord, I'm convinced that what this generation needs more than ever before is Christian men and women who are not attempting in their own ability and their own strength and their own wisdom to pull off the impossible, but to have the impossible being pulled off in their life as they pursue you. Lord, what would it look like if this generation saw the impossible being lived out before them? What would it look like in this generation for somehow people to say, I don't know how you're living except for Jesus Christ. Lord, would you make us holy as you are holy? Would you make us blameless as you are blameless? Which means we're going to have to embrace you. So Lord, we just freshly declare this morning that we want to embrace you tighter, deeper, more passionately, with more fervor, Hey, would you just consume our focus? Would you become our delight? Hey, would you be our love? Hey, would you be the, just the essence of our whole life? May you be the, that which our whole life points toward. Would you become everything we need in this life for life and godliness? Because this is all about you. Thank you for such an opportunity that you've chosen us to be like the one who is choosing us. Holy and blameless before you. Give the praise and the glory. We love you. In your precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.